Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. You know, cannabis tourism is on the rise globally. And a 2020 report found that 29% of all active leisure travelers want to partake in cannabis-related activities on their vacation. And that seems to, to bode true when you take a look at the amount of cannabis that was sold in the United States in 2021, $26 billion worth of cannabis sold across the nation in the legal market, not even talking about the gray or black markets across the country. So clearly sales are up. People are coming out of COVID and wanting to get on the road and they want to get on the road and, you know, have a little extra relaxation. Well, today's guest is the founder and the president of the 420 Hotels. He's a cannabis consumer, advocate, investor, and a film producer. He's the owner and operator of the historic Patterson Inn in Denver, Colorado. His most recent film project, co-produced by rapper Ice-T, was called Public Enemy Number 1. It's a documentary about the war on drugs and the weaponization of cannabis against communities of color, as it's always been. He currently serves as the deputy director of the Colorado branch of Normal and the president of the American Millennium Investment Corporation. Chris Kihari. Thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Look, let's let's back up for a second here and talk about uh, how you even got into the hospitality business to begin with and why did it appeal to you? Got into cannabis first. Uh, Stanislavski says you can't master anything in life until you've done it for 30 years. And cannabis is the one thing I've done for 31 years in my life. Whether I've mastered or not is someone else's right to determine but I was a cannabis consumer. I literally came out to Denver, Colorado 11 years ago, looked at an abandoned building, and I saw a future. Uh, my own past, I'm a melanoma survivor. Uh, melanoma gave me what I was told was a short lease on life. Don't make long-term plans, a doctor said one time. When I got a clean bill of health 11 years ago, I knew whatever I did with the next chapter, I wanted to be honest. I wanted to lean into the one thing I had always hidden from people, the fact that I was a cannabis consumer. Uh, Patterson Inn, a now a nine and a half year operating uh, boutique hotel in Denver, was an abandoned building 11 years ago, the first time I set eyes on it. But it had an address, 420, sitting over the door, sitting over the keystone of this old French chateau. And in that moment, I knew that this building and my next chapter would be in hospitality. And I intended then, and I am executing now on turning this property into a cannabis bed and breakfast. Well, now it's very interesting because like, Denver didn't change its cannabis business licensing regulations until November, 2021 in regard to social consumption. I mean, why did you think 11 years ago that the opportunity was going to avail itself? Because in several other states, they are actually fighting it. Now, um, those several other states are trying to implement and look at New York, New Jersey. They are probably both going to have some form of social consumption in, in, in the form of clubs and things. So, but why did you think 11 years ago that, um, I know you're thinking ahead and thinking out of the box, but why did you think that maybe this would be something that would be available? Medical cannabis had started and had taken hold in Colorado at that point with the opening of dispensaries. The realities around that, uh, movement in public opinion, the substance that became the basis of my film, where was the American population at that time? And 11 years ago, we were breaking that 50% benchmark. And there was that movement. Could it now be happening? 
I remember when I told my father the first time, his comment was never in my lifetime, never in your lifetime. And almost can't believe that it's happening in my lifetime. But keep this in mind, when we legalized now, nine years ago, passed the bill here in Colorado, the conversation around public consumption was always topic and front and center. But the fear was it would be too much too soon. And so there was a conscious effort to put social consumption for the next issue we get to. I don't think anyone thought it would take eight more years. I didn't think it would take eight more years, but I haven't been flat-footed since. I've been badged in the industry for well over six now. I've owned and operated the hotel. I didn't get it 11 years ago. I was beat out by two weeks, but I did purchase the property four years ago. So we were moving. In sailing, you have to be moving before the horn sounds or you've already missed the start of the race. I felt that was an element here that you couldn't wait till the world caught up. You had to be front and center and leading, at least in some element of this space. And I'm proud now of over a decade of being very open, very vocal, and very engaged in cannabis as a topic, as policy, as part of my career, and with the hotel as part of my ambition. Yeah, I, I visited uh, several different uh, cannabis consumption locations, some in, in California, um, and in other states that seem to are they're starting it seems as if the the tide is starting to change and people are starting to allow and i I literally was very instrumental in you know holding i think the first mayoral debate in Colorado about cannabis legalization for medicine about twelve years ago so um you know, I've been very very much involved in and keeping an eye on what you've been doing trying to see if that was ever going to break through and actually happen and so now I'm glad to see that it has. Um, are you open for business right now? Hotel is open for business. I do hold a provisional license in hand, but the next hurdle in executing and opening the lounge to the public comes around HVAC air handling. You know, Denver never outlawed cigar lounge or hookah. What they did was increase the standards around clean air in a smoke filled environment that anyone that would look to build this new standard or to the current code would really have to think twice. I'm meeting with the city in the very near future because it's a six-figure ventilation system for a 1,000-square-foot room. And I've told the city I'm not intimidated to build it. I'm intimidated to turn it on and operate the system once it's built. Uh, so that's the last hurdle. But uh, the hotel, like I said, is open nine and a half years plus now. Uh, we do have a tavern on property that for the first time is opening to the public. Uh, to My goal wasn't to just take – if you know the property, it looks like a castle – I didn't want to make a castle to cannabis. We we need that. The market wants that. But I'm trying to deliver a product that speaks to normalization and destigmatization. And a sophisticated boutique hotel with a legally licensed tavern in one portion of the building that operates and a cannabis consumption lounge in another, to me, is the best reflection of bringing these very divergent topics. We always make the comparison, one's safer than the other. But the recognition is adults want to make adult decisions. I still can't let them coexist, but to have both of these businesses coexisting within 12,000 square feet, to me, is an, a contribution towards this effort towards normalization. Yeah, that was a question I was going to ask you. So in the facility that you serve alcohol, you can't consume cannabis. And That's in correct. the cannabis facility, you can't consume alcohol. That's correct. Right? That's correct. It's uh, just so asinine and ridiculous. I just don't understand it. Well, uh, let me tell you. I give you one more piece. Uh, the, uh, the hotel with the liquor license could have been adjacent to the cannabis business, but guests couldn't move between the structures. So it actually took creating different corporate entities, 
creating a commercial property, creating new addresses and moving all of the pieces away from each other. So now what I'm ending up with is a tavern that abuts a hotel restaurant, a cannabis lounge that abuts a hotel restaurant. So the guests, though you can't move with those substances between the experience, you can move from inside the building between the experience. And so it was the nuance of where does this new opportunity meet the reality of city code? So, I mean, I, I can consume cannabis, put it out, walk into the restaurant, eat, walk into the bar, grab a drink, leave the drink in the bar, go back to the restaurant, have dessert, then walk over to the cannabis consumption. Well, technically, uh, if you purchase the alcohol in the bar, as a guest of the hotel, you would have a right to then go up to consume that in the restaurant or even take it to your room. Uh, okay. Now, the courtyard just can't be a point of sale for alcohol. And then you are right with cannabis. No consumed cannabis can be in the act of being consumed as you're entering or exiting the room. I can't even let you smoke in your room. Rule says that if a space is licensed as a cannabis lounge, it has to be vacated at two o'clock in the morning. So I can check you into the hotel. You can have a wonderful evening in my space. And at 2 a.m., I have to kick you out of your room and then invite you, you out of the lounge. You can kick you out of the lounge. So, no, if I had gone to create that perfect scenario where a guest could consume in their room, the rules wouldn't allow that with overnight hospitality. A lounge hours are restricted. That has to be closed, for my case, with the Good Neighbor Agreement by midnight. Uh, but the city ordinance by, by code says 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. It has to be closed and vacated. So any area licensed for cannabis hospitality could never then also be in the sleeping portion of the hotel because the rule would say those rooms would have to be vacated from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. doesn't really fit with overnight hospitality. Right. That's insane. I, you know, again, I, I, um, I was out in Colorado for your 420 event. As a matter of fact, I was a speaker at the, the event um, when you had about 55, 60,000 people. So I'm sure that you, you had a lot of people who, were, who wished they had an opportunity to stay in your hotel that night. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. You know, it's a, it's a big day in Denver, but 420 is becoming a big day in what's a nationalized market now. I actually was in New York this year, not even in Denver, to be part of what was that first legal 420 in a city I grew up in. Gotcha. It was important. It was something special. I was in New Jersey the day they legalized. I didn't purchase, but I did consume at my 30th high school reunion with a group of friends on the dock of our former campus legally. Uh, on the first day, it was literally the first day that we could have done that. And it just so happened to be my 30th high school reunion. That's so good. That's so cool. That opportunity to share the best. This is, I heard this in college. A friend's father said, the older you get, the better the cannabis you find is. And that has proven to be true, uh, certainly with the legal market. And the other thing about cannabis is it's always been generous. 
if you had it, you always had it to share. You wanted to share it with your friends. Uh, so to get to do that and celebrate those two things, one, having found the best, and then two, having shared the best uh, with close friends uh, in New Jersey on the first day of legalization, that was special. It was special. It would have been special, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the plans now. You're, the, the cannabis lounge is going to be inside what you call the Patterson Inn. Is that right? So the Patterson Inn, if you were to go to pattersonin.com, you'll see a 12,000 square foot old Victorian redstone French chateau in downtown Denver. The larger of the two structures on the left is the main nine room hotel with the tavern in the basement. And then the smaller structure, the two story structure on the right of the main picture is the carriage house. Carriage house has room for two more guest rooms up on the second floor. And then the 1000 square foot space on the first floor is what we've now licensed for the Cannabis Lounge. But the, the, they are both two different businesses, right? The hotel and the other. There are some... three different businesses, actually four. One owns the property, one runs the hotel, one business runs the bar, and the th fourth business now runs the Cannabis Hospitality Lounge. And the rooms that you said are, you have two rooms above the Cannabis Hospitality Lounge. Are they considered a hotel too? Is that considered They will be part of the Patterson Inn. Uh, the lounge actually exists in a separate commercial unit now that I was able to change and formalize with the city. So the first floor of the lounge is now literally recognized as suite 420 on the property. Okay. All right. Now, the Denver local government states that a big priority is assure, assuring social equity when it comes to acquiring these kind of licenses. From what you've seen so far, do you think that that goal has been successful? I had a really great conversation with a candidate for governor in Maryland, I hosted Tom Prez for a fundraiser at the hotel. And he asked one of the places that we could get social equity right. You know, the burden is government cannot enumerate, right? It cannot specifically express who it's out to protect. And so they had to be very nuanced in social equity. Uh, in my case, I qualified because I had a family member who had uh, been a victim of the war on drugs. I don't want to go into details about the impact of family, but all of us that have associated with cannabis as crime have our personal story. I think the right step forward, something they're talking about in New York, is to make it maybe direct. I never personally had an arrest for a cannabis crime. It was a family member. But under Colorado's rules, that was a qualifier. Uh, so I think it should be direct, that if the goal is to create equity from the harm of the war on drugs that is disproportionate in its impact, then by giving individuals who have that conviction, that felony, that arrest on their personal record that has become a direct inhibitor of their own potential success, whether it's licensing as a contractor or a real estate agent, these types of licenses are barred if you carry a felony. So with cannabis as a crime, I think that the right path forward this is advice that had I been able to give it to the state, I would have. It doesn't benefit me. I'm not looking for a gain or a benefit. I qualified and I applied. I want to make sure that when we go forward, that if the ultimate goal is, again, to create a, a respect or a return or an opportunity from the harm from the war on drugs, then that direct arrest or conviction, I think, is the, is the right path and should be implemented in, in, in implemented in every state going forward and certainly should be something that Colorado corrects uh, in the near term. I mean, when we take a look at the fact that, you know, uh, if we were really talking equity, since the prohibition began in 37, 80% of those arrested and spending time in prison are people of color, whether they be brown or black. 
Um, and this industry has not even come anywhere close to more than 8% of this entire industry, you know, um, um, opening its doors to allowing uh, people of color to participate. Um, and the industry needs to step up. We've had a number of really great individuals apply for and qualify for delivery here in Denver. And one of the individuals, we had a great, he came by the hotel, we sat down, we talked. He is taking a significant risk. He had the direct impact from his own arrest. He is everything that we want to building opportunity in the industry. And yet dispensaries are reluctant. Even minority-owned dispensaries are reluctant to partner with him because they feel like they're giving up on their own opportunity later. And if we are serious about building equity, then we do have to seek out and support. So being in, so one of my responsibilities is to mentor. Um, I will take and have taken every single call. I don't charge as a cannabis consultant. Even though I have this body of knowledge, I'm told that this could be valuable. I had a great mentor many years ago that said that if somebody asks you an honest question and you have the answer, share it. That we lift all tide, all boats lift with a rising tide, that we don't get there by thinking that I now have the key and I have to now make this exclusive and deny other people access. Um, we as an industry now have to be proactive, but now we're dealing with multi-state. Now we're dealing with, in some cases, faceless organizations that change leadership as market conditions demand. And, and that makes it even harder to then um, keep community-based values as part of what we're building here. Well, you know, it's very interesting as you, you bring that up. I, I have been talking about this quite a bit on, uh, let's be blunt, as a fact that, you know, I think this industry spends so much time focusing so hard on B2B that we can have really literally forgotten B2C. You know, I'm a keynote speaker at this year's uh, uh, Cannabis uh, Science Conference in Long Beach, California, as I've done a couple of years in the past. And I'm going back this year in a couple of weeks to do that again. And that's going to be probably a majority of my discussion is the fact that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's so strange how we in this industry, you know, publish documents that we only share with other businesses and we don't share them with the consumer. And how stupid are we to ignore what has created one of the most, you know, successful industries in America called the pharmaceutical industry and not even try to take a page out of their book. I get it. There are several, there's, every state has some restrictive way of providing information to the consumer when it comes to cannabis. However, almost every single state allows for the education. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you plan on holding, you know, forums at your hotel or in your, your, your facility um, where it's just education night, not just smoke out night, but education night. I mean, I think that uh, that would be a major benefit, you know, offer a night for bud tenders to bring along with them two or three of their, you know, uh, primary customers and maybe ask them to bring a family member who's been on the fence and then spend an hour educating them about the viability of cannabis as an alternative for medication. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but um, I think that we, we continue to spend so much time just B2B in this that we are, are going to sadly get left behind when it's time to seek support for changes in some of these ridiculously stupid laws. I, I'm so sorry to say, I just think that, you know, Colorado implementing, you know, the restrictive 
nature of the implementation of the consumption lounges is stupid. It's just pure and simple stupid, but you're not going to get the support of the consumer unless they know that that stupidity exists. Activist and advocate. Activists work hard and then uh, enjoy themselves at the celebration of the party after. Advocates constantly work on education. I'm sometimes considered outside of industry because I don't think that we can maintain a gold standard unless the regulatory body behind it is sound, sufficient, and effective. I've held a paramutual license in a state like Florida and California. I've held now alcohol here in Colorado. I can tell you the similarities between cannabis as it relates to other privileged licenses like gambling or alcohol, all governed by the Department of Revenue in every state I've ever gone to. Um, I bought a hotel with 420 over the door and immediately went to get a loan. And I said to every bank, I know you won't be my lender if I get the license. Will you be my lender if I get in the paper trying to get the license? And seven banks said no. So I felt and had that hurdle. Bought a property with 420 and had guests right from day one. The old owner said the same thing. People would ask because of the nature of the, of the address. And we found a way to have a conversation. But if you're walking in looking for a place to smoke, you are not necessarily my target customer because I also am looking to create a space for the can of curious. And every guest that I have poured a glass of happy hour for over the four years that I've owned the hotel, I always ask the same question. I start with, did you notice my address? Because I knew the first time I saw the 420 over the door that from a cultural and from a marketing standpoint, it's pre-established, recognized branding. If you know it, you respond, you smile, you make a comment. If you don't know, it's a different conversation. But I've been curious from day one of purchasing the hotel, what would be the response of the audience that was already attracted to the property? And I have not been uncomfortable. In fact, I've been very comfortable leading off every conversation with cannabis now for well over a decade. And so I know what the response from a more conservative leaning guest that might be traveling to visit their child. And I'm going to say it's well over 90%. You used statistics in the beginning. Well over 90% of my guests are either comfortable with it, curious about it, or not turned off by it. And that third category is significant. It goes to normalization. So I've used the hotel, have seen the hotel as a place to educate from day one. And one of my most exciting elements of pairing hospitality with cannabis on-site consumption is concierge service. What happens when a guest has a question? Will they be comfortable to ask my staff? And I believe the answer is yes. They're already asking. But once that's a product we have to market, I think the comfort with that dialogue will be even more significant. And You're not I, allowed to sell. No. Your, you can't sell. Now, can deliveries be made to your facility? I went with a bring your own cannabis because Denver is not desperate for another place to sell or buy cannabis. Certainly not in my neighborhood, but we are lacking in places to consume. I want to be the best place to sleep. And we have a lounge, not the best place to buy cannabis as well. Also, if you've ever tried to sneak a flask into a bar, you were probably asked to leave, no outside alcohol. So if I did a sales model, I would have had to train my staff to stop you, my guest, from consuming something you brought in with you. So if my goal is to create a space where I say you can smoke that here, I didn't want to say, but you can't smoke that here. So it didn't fit with hospitality. 
So I was very comfortable with the two models that they offered that a bring your own cannabis fits for what I want to do. I'm not looking to build a busy bar, very limited access, special events, annual members, guests of the hotel, 40 person occupancy, which is 42 people occupancy, meaning of life and everything. And the goal with that space is that it's never meant to be the crowded place you'd go on a Saturday night. We have that option now with another lounge in Denver, and I cannot wait to send my guests to Dwayne's property at Tetra. Really good member of our community, a really good business owner, and someone who's bringing another different product to market that is a place to party on a Saturday night. My place is meant to attract an older audience, curious in a space where they'll be comfortable engaged so that staff can make suggestions like start low, go slow. I don't want anyone to eat an entire chocolate bar that's never done that before. I don't want anyone to smoke an entire joint that's never done that before. I don't want a guest to smoke from apparatus they're unfamiliar with unless there's someone there to answer their questions so that if they make the decision to do that, they make it informed. That's what I think is so uh, special and unique about what we can do with cannabis hospitality now here at the beginning. And I think it goes even further by pairing with a hotel because you're already in that space that you're staying. You already have that established comfort zone with your short-term residency. And my hope is that all that adds and speaks directly to what you're saying. How do we engage? How do we inform? How do we send people home with a good experience and more information than they arrived with? Have you uh, talked to or had, did you have to go around and talk? to the uh, other individuals in the community adjacent to or near the hotel. There must be other, you know, non-cannabis places right next door. And what do they think? What was the, their, their reaction? Just like uh, alcohol, we have needs and desire hearings. Uh, I've been pretty active in the 11 years I've lived in Denver as far as community organizations. So I needed a good neighbor agreement. And I earned that from the largest consolidated neighborhood organization in Denver called CHUN, Capitol Hill United Neighborhoods. I came to my hearing with community support, came with having done the work to make sure that if anyone truly was vocal and opposed, that they felt heard. This is not everyone's comfort zone. We are still changing the world slowly but significantly with cannabis legalization. And so to think everyone's on board, um, it's not true. And it's important, I think, for all of us as we go forward to make sure that there's a forum, that there's buy-in from community. In my case, I had a 29 to nothing vote in support of opening liquor license, doing the conversion of the property. It was a 65% vote in support of the cannabis lounge. So even in the heart of progressive, open-minded Denver, where legalization was took a foothold a decade ago, there's 35% of the community that's still not sure about cannabis hospitality. It's really kind of crazy. I mean, I, 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 can, I, I spent many a night in uh, Amsterdam um, enjoying cannabis consumption lounges um, as just a part of my vacation um, and never ran into any issues at all. And I don't believe that the, they ran into any issues. They started having some issues with, you know, other drugs being sold out of the back door. And that's probably the only issues that they really had. But as far as, um, you know, I, I, there are several different lounges that I would go to in Amsterdam for years before we even thought about doing this here. What do you think uh, the next, it's, it's going to be next for the cannabis hospitality industry 
not only in Colorado, but nationally and even globally. I mean, you think that we're going to start seeing many Amsterdam's pop up in Isle of Man, in Spain, in, well, so far, well, yeah, even in, in Colombia. Malta. Um, yeah, Malta. What do you think? I was just back in Amsterdam last November. It's always an extraordinary place to visit. It's a one of a kind city with the canals, with its history, with its architecture. I don't think there'll ever be another Amsterdam. I don't know if Amsterdam style coffee shops will survive there with the latest push from the mayor, though we hear that every three or four years. I don't see any type of Amsterdam model being embraced yet here in any really jurisdiction here in the States where you can literally purchase it and then walk out the door in that very open consumption, almost like the New Orleans of cannabis would be very synonymous. So will we see Amsterdam? No, but I do think that something like cannabis normalization will occur in a city like New Orleans. That is also one of those just extraordinary world-class cities that once you get a taste of it, you'll never forget. I could see people walking down Bourbon Street openly consuming cannabis and what is recognized as this adult playground as a step towards um, seeing it normalized in a very Amsterdam-style way here. Uh, But my lounge will be maybe closer to Barney's Cafe, right, where you can bring in your own cannabis and have a bite to eat and a beverage, but not a coffee shop. So unique what happened there in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. I always hear, well, you can smoke cannabis anywhere you can smoke a cigarette. I smoked it on the dock in Pine Beach, New Jersey, legally. The end of the day, though, whether or not people consume inside of an indoor lounge environment, be it a cafe, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a, a cannabis consumption lounge, or a lounge in a hotel, will require further regulation. And we see how long and slow that process in New Jersey can take sometimes. How much longer? How is it, could it be eight years till they figure out what indoor license consumption looks like? Is there even a demand for it if you can truly walk down the boardwalk and seaside and smoke? And man, now in, in Manhattan and New York, I know that there is a move afoot right now to open up consumption lounges there. Brilliant. Legacy players. I had an opportunity to spend some meaningful time with some legacy operators in New York over 420, and they're very realistic. They have a market. It's active. That market has been active for generations. They're not walking away from it. A small shop owner on 72nd on the West side is selling $40 eighths at her small bodega. And she's doing it because uh, the sun is shining. Make hay. She has no interest or intention of turning her small shop into a dispensary. She has already gotten the letter telling her to stop. And she said that she'll stop as soon as there's another option for the customer to be satisfied with the product they're looking for. She's driven by economics. Washington Square Park was an open market. Fascinating to experience. The the young men, in many cases, young men that are working those uh, tables are doing it for a job. In many cases, the legacy providers and producers in New York that are running lounges already, that are opening dispensaries already, are paying their employees better than the market is bringing to wages here in Colorado. I actually was a dispensary owner uh, early on here in Denver and got into conflict with the owner over the topic of unionizing the shop. Staff salaries were at $18 an hour when minimum wage was still seven. And my comment was, let's establish this as a foundation, as a basis. Let's make sure that this industry pays well 
So the young people that work in the bud tending positions can build careers here, not just be churned like so many other industries. And tragically, I was laughed out the door. There was a reluctance at that time, certainly reluctance from the ownership I was part of to embrace that. I'm very pro-labor. I'm under a neutrality agreement with my hotel. Very supportive of some of the collective bargaining uh, movements that are happening in uh, hospitality or in Starbucks. And I hope that that wave finds its way here into cannabis because it's another place. We've now created this industry. We've created these opportunities for big multi-state operators, but we have done nothing for the foundation of this industry, which are the employees. And we have 145,000 badges have been issued in Colorado since legalization started and less than 20,000 or 30,000 of those badges are active. That's not an industry that's building a legacy for any of its employees. Right, you're absolutely right. Well, I mean, did, did, are you are you planning on expanding the idea of 420 hotels to other places around the country? I mean, it probably would be tough to go in and find straight streets that have the street address of 420, but you could still use the name. I um, went for minimum wage jobs, uh, watched my parents lose everything in the recession in 91, uh, to having opportunities in the late 90s and the irrational exuberance of the late 90s. And I did marketing and messaging for startups. And I was always fascinated about the idea of taking intellectual property, putting it to market and giving the market an opportunity to judge its viability and to then buy a piece of that opportunity. And that used to be known as the bulletin board or the pink sheets. Uh, President Obama did a really great piece of work, uh, probably middle of his presidency. It was part of the Jobs Act. And what they did was they took Kickstarter, but open Kickstarter or equity crowdfunding for stock. And so when I saw this property 11 years ago, my vision was that it would be the first. This is not my flagship. It's my keystone that I do not need the address to be 420 at every other location. But the belief is, is that this first extraordinary location, the story of how we're pairing four-star hospitality and legally licensed cannabis hospitality for the first time, I strongly believe has the potential to go coast to coast. Uh, what I shared about crowdfunding is I've launched a campaign on Republic. Uh, we are testing the water right now, but we'll be live in the near future. I had a, an idea 11 years ago that this property was a core capital asset, that hotel operations was a good business that people could understand, and that being in a position amongst the first, in this case, the first, to license a cannabis hospitality lounge attached to a hotel is a story worth sharing. So I'll know in the next few months the market's reaction to what we're doing, uh, but I am building out this first location with the intention of expanding to a dozen locations. So I'll wrap with this. I uh, bought the420hotels.com probably six years ago. I own the420denver.com. The 420 Hotels is the Nevada company that I'm raising capital through. The 420 Denver is our Denver Lounge. And then I also own the 420 and 50 of my favorite cities in America and around the world.com as a place to start bundling common branding with the intention of taking this hotel, this brand, this concept uh, to gateway cities across America. I have a dream of 20 rooms in Amsterdam, not because Amsterdam needs it, not because there are not wonderful opportunities for cannabis, but is there a small boutique hotel in Amsterdam that encourages and welcomes the consumption of cannabis on its front patio with coffee?
Well, you know, I'll tell you something very funny. I used to, when I, I used to stay at one of the four-star hotels there, but always, um, if I would go for three to four days, I literally would rent a small boat two of those days and and make sure that the boat operator understood I'm consuming and literally just bounce around through the canals to different dispensaries. There were different uh, coffee shops that I want to stop at, grab something, bring back on my boat and ride along in the canals and consume. And it was probably some of the best times of my life. I've done it on a boat, uh, on a bike. I've done it on my feet. I've never done it on a boat. It's now on my bucket list. When you go there next time, I'm telling you, man, you can get one of those little teeny boats that will go through all the canals. Just talk to the owner and tell him I'm consuming. Once I go to a coffee shop, just do a coffee shop tour. It's unbelievable. Cannabis is community. And it's a very uh, intimate space. Those of us that consume, that share, find that common element. I marveled my last trip to Amsterdam, uh, this international city with this very intimate cannabis community. And it was like going home, seeing friends that you hadn't seen, you know, in a few years because of the world we're in. Um, but still, it's it's like going home. Uh, wow. You asked before, will we see another place like that? I, I just don't know. What other city in the world is so walkable? What other city of the world is just so picturesque? Right. And then 40 plus years and a generation plus of cannabis hospitality. I strongly believe that Amsterdam will be a relevant destination forever, as long as those coffee shops are open. I sympathize with the Dutch uh, alcohol, the overconsumption of alcohol, the overconsumption of alcohol in those small towns on those small streets when rowdy people are are going a little too hard. Mostly the British, I hear. Uh, that is a, a blight on that community. They blame cannabis because they see it, and it's so easy to say that this many people come to Amsterdam because of cannabis. I'm not sure what the statistics would look like if you asked a British traveler uh, how many travel because of the proliferation of bars or the open consumption on the streets. It might also be an appeal. Um, but I do think they'll figure that out. I do think uh, tourism as a whole, as far as cannabis tourism, won't be exclusive to Amsterdam. But it is such an extraordinary city. The Dutch don't need us to come there to smoke cannabis in their city for Amsterdam to be a successful city. Right. I just hope they do because it is such a beautiful place to do it. They leave it there. Absolutely. Well, if anybody want to get more information about your hotel, where would they go? Pattersonin.com. It's more information about the hotel. The420hotels.com. Uh, we'll be going live in the near future with more information about the the plan, the current property and our offering. And then pinofilm.com, public enemy number one film.com, abbreviated P-E-N-O film.com. Uh, for the movie. Great. And um, do you have to make a reservation? That's one of the questions I have. Since you only have 40 people that can actually be in the consumption lounge, do you have to make a reservation to be in the consumption lounge? So we're going to make, and we're not the place to party on a Saturday night. I'm a nine going to an 11 room hotel. So if I had every room in my hotel filled with a guest there for the cannabis lounge, and they all invited one guest each, we're at capacity. So the intention is annual members, guests of the hotel. And yes, you would still make a reservation. So we know you were coming. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for being a part of the show today. If you ever want to come back and chat a little bit more, I'd love to hear how you're going and how it's doing. And uh, let's stay in touch. Okay. I'd welcome the opportunity and welcome the opportunity to maybe even do that show in the hotel. 
Um, oh, come on. I'll give you a shot. If I'm coming through and I'm kind of come through Colorado every now and then. So maybe next time I'm in last time I was just there again for the 420, uh, uh, Rocky, what mile high, uh, conference. I literally was going to do some podcasts and I should have had you on then, but next time I come through, we'll try to do it. Okay. I hope so. Thanks for the time today. Absolutely. sir. you take care of yourself, stay well, and make sure you tune in to the next edition of let's be blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.